History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 486th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we are featuring a really cute house. It's the Tinker Swiss Cottage. It is so neat. People are going to love this that are our listeners. I know you guys love these kinds of houses. And Kelly and the spectacular crew, people post every so often like a Victorian house that looks really cool that's for sale or, you know, a haunted location that's for sale. And we're always like, oh, this will be the HGB clubhouse. And Chelsea posts a lot of those pictures. Yes, she does. This would make a great HGB clubhouse. I just love the name of it. Yes. It sounds adorable. It does. And it's actually the last name of the family, Tinker. Before we get into sharing the history and hauntings of this location, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Megan, Marsh, and Pandora who spells her name P-A-N-D-O-R-A-H. Very cool. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining our Facebook group. And now this moment, Noddity. The industry of aviation has made leaps and bounds since the Wright brothers conducted their first successful flight back in December of 1903. Now, there are researchers from the New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology who are utilizing taxidermied birds to create drones to advance the aviation industry. The goal is to examine birds' flying formations and flight patterns to see how birds manage their energy, which could help the aviation industry save fuel. So as the taxidermied drones are able to fly amongst the living species, the gathered data is hoped to provide some needed assistance for this endeavor. Although there are a small number of conspiracy theorists who believe that no birds are actually real and our fine-feathered friends are the government spying on us. One thing is for sure, taxidermied bird drones for aviation advancement certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, this month in history. month of May, on the 11th in 1894, Martha Graham was born in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. Martha was one of three daughters whose young family moved from the south to Santa Barbara, California in 1909. This is where Martha found the rhythm of the ocean and discovered Asian art. This ultimately influenced her style of choreography over her lengthy career. 
She first began her professional career in 1916 at Denishon, a school and dance company founded in Los Angeles. While studying, one of the company's founders discovered sources of dramatic power within her and channeled her talents into an Aztec ballet. The dance was such a success in vaudeville and concert performances that Martha became a star for Denishon. Graham stayed with their dance company until breaking free and becoming a featured dancer in the Greenwich Village Follies Review. In 1924, she moved on to the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York to teach and experiment with styles of performance. She went independent as an artist in 1926, and critics found her styles graceful and lyrical. However, in 1927, her newly inspired dance styles were described as ugly and obscure. These critiques went on for just over a decade. Martha's dance program titled Revolt was an example of this. It is believed to have been one of the first dances of protest and social comment staged in the United States. She was ridiculed by ordinary and famous theatergoers for her performance choices during this time. Over her career, Martha Graham explored the ability of dance to convey full thoughts and emotions, not unlike spoken drama. Over the span of more than seven decades, she created more than 180 solo and large-scale works many that she herself performed in. Martha Graham was an influential dancer, teacher, and choreographer of modern dance. She gave this genre a new direction for expression of intense, forceful, and primal emotions. Her dance technique is considered by many the cornerstone of American modern dance to this day. Tinker Swiss Cottage is a unique and beautiful home that resembles a Swiss cottage. Built by the Tinker family, it would become a symbol for Rockford, Illinois. And the family's contributions to Rockford would help the town grow. Most of the family members who had lived at the house died at the house. Most of the furnishings and artifacts in the house, that is now a museum, belonged to the family. Possibly, this is why there are so many claims that many of the family's spirits still reside in the home. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of the Tinker Swiss Cottage. just love it when one of our supposed haunted locations has a Native American mound on the property. And that's the case with the Tinker Swiss Cottage. This is a conical mound that is dated to pre-Columbian times between 1300 to 1000 BC. The Winnebago tribe lived in the area that will become Rockford. So there were Native Americans in this area for centuries. Rockford started as two separate settlements on both sides of the Rock River that were named Midway. Daniel Shaw Haight founded the East Bank Settlement, and Germanicus Kent and Thatcher Blake founded the West Bank Settlement in 1834. Kent built a sawmill and a gristmill, and in 1837, the name Midway was changed to Rockford. The city was officially incorporated in 1852. The original Kent property is now the Tinker Railroad Gardens and Prairie, with the ponds here being the actual retention ponds made by Kent for running his mills. Very cool that they're still in existence. Yeah, it's one of those things that you don't really think about. You look at a homestead and you're looking for the foundation or the house to still be there, maybe a barn, but 
retention pond, sometimes we don't think about. That's actually something that's historical to the property, too. Robert Hall Tinker was born on December 31, 1836, in Honolulu to missionary parents. Tinker moved to Rockford in 1856 and found employment at the Manny Reaper Works as an accountant and personal secretary to the owner, Mary Dorr Manny. Mary had been born in Hoosick Falls, New York, in 1829. She received her education at the academy in the city. She married John H. Manny in 1852, and they moved to Rockford in 1853. Mary was widowed at just 28 and took over the business, prospering it greatly and earning enough to own several pieces of property in town. Robert Tinker was eight years her junior, and the two fell in love and married in 1870. A little side story about her first husband is that he invented the Reaper. Have you ever heard of a Reaper before, Kelly? I have. Now, I like to think of the Reaper as in... Grim Reaper. Dude with this that's <laughs> <laughs> coming to get you when you're done, when you're done cooking on the planet. But uh, this, of course, as you know, is a farming implement. It's a harvesting device. It is. It was an invention that combined all the equipment used to harvest crops into one machine, allowing farmers to double their crop size. So her husband, John H. Manny, he was sued by his competition, Cyrus McCormick, for patent infringement in 1855. And anytime you look up the Reaper, you're mostly going to see Cyrus McCormick come up. And they always give him all the credit for making this machine. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Goodness. And John ultimately won with the help of his two lawyers, Edwin M. Stanton and Abraham Lincoln. Oh, my. Yes, that Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) So maybe that's why John won. So I don't know who was the first one to do whatever, but John took it all the way to the Supreme Court and he won. Unfortunately, he died two weeks after the verdict because he had tuberculosis. And they said the stress of the trial, and we know how stress could be, just really led to his downfall. And he went pretty quickly there. Lincoln got involved because the initial trial was to be in Springfield, which is where he lived and where he was practicing. But then it changed to Cincinnati. The lawyers there, Edwin Stanton, George Harding, and P.H. Watson, didn't want Lincoln's help. Stanton, he didn't want, quote, Such a damned, gawky, long-armed ape as that. Oh, my word. Lincoln still showed up for the trial, and Stanton described him as looking like, quote, a long, lank creature from Illinois, wearing a dirty linen duster for a coat, and the back of which perspiration had splotched wide stains that resembled a map of the continent. He didn't really care for Lincoln, you think? Clearly not. And Lincoln delivers his brief to them, and they actually didn't even use it. So he went to all this trouble to put it together and be there, and they didn't do this. Now, despite what clearly seemed to be no love loss between the men, I don't know, maybe Lincoln did like Stanton, but Stanton clearly didn't like Lincoln. Lincoln would appoint Stanton as his secretary of war when he was president. Well, he was clearly the bigger man. Clearly, and I'm wondering what Stanton had to say after that. Maybe he had a little bit more respect for the tall, lanky man. I would certainly hope so. And despite the fact that I I know Lincoln was certainly not one of our more attractive presidents and he was lanky and kind of gawky and everything, he was one of the best ones we ever had. So True. Before the couple married, Robert traveled throughout Europe in 1862 and fell in love with many styles of architecture he saw there in the estates and gardens, particularly those in Switzerland. He decided that when he returned to America, he would build himself a Swiss-style cottage. Tinker bought property that sat on a limestone bluff overlooking Kent Creek and built his home there in 1865. This was a two-story, 27-room home. 
The inside of the house was grand with high ceilings, unique designs, and an angled roof. Furniture was made from wood, keeping its natural look, like chairs formed from tree branches. Tinker even made the walnut spiral staircase that is in the library from a single piece of wood. The woodwork in the house is exceptional. Rooms were designed with rounded corners. He later added a conservatory to the house. I'll see how many pictures I can get to post up on Instagram. I definitely want to get one of this walnut spiral staircase. It is so cool looking. And when you think that he designed it out of this single piece of wood, it's very neat. It's a, just a very small staircase. It's not a big one. And I think he clearly put it there just because he wanted to have a, a spiral staircase to go up and down where the books were at. I love that. Because this is a two-story library. So they had a lot of books in there. It's just so cool inside of this house. I'd love to see it. Like Swiss Family Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's necessarily what I he's know. going for. But. I'm teasing. <laughs> there was also a three-story Swiss-inspired barn on the property for housing the animals. And Tinker was a master gardener. This guy could do everything, it sounds like. So he designed the landscaping of the 27 acres of land. There are vines, flower beds, gardens, winding paths, and lots of trees. He also built a suspension bridge that linked this property to Mary's property where she had lived in a limestone mansion and continued the gardens over there. So this is so cool. I don't know if he just found this property because it was right next to her property. And so he's like, I'm going to buy the place right next door. So they had property that was right next door to each other. So he builds this really cool suspension bridge that's still there today. And really, you think about the time that they got together you know, here's this woman who, first of all, is running this big company, which was almost unheard of at the time. Yeah, very successfully. She's older than him by eight years and his boss. <laughs> well, so at the time, you got to think, oh, my scandalous that they're getting together. When you meet your twin flame. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Eventually, when Mary's property was sold to the railroad in 1906, this garden was dubbed the Railroad Gardens. It was a nice area where passengers could stroll while waiting for their train. Mary's property was sold in 1906 and the mansion raised because she'd passed away in 1901 at the age of 72. So I think that's why they ended up selling it because she was no longer living. She had bought the home from the Holland family in 1860 and the house was gorgeous. This was a, a really cool looking Victorian home and it had all these columns in the front of it too. But the train traffic was causing it to crumble. Tinker remarried in what many described as a marriage of convenience. Robert's new wife was Mary's niece, Jessie Dorr Hurd. Jessie was born in 1859 and moved to Rockford when still a toddler. Jessie's mother passed in childbirth in 1863, and Jessie and her sister Marcia were raised by their aunts, Mary and Hannah. So both girls spent time living at Tinker Cottage. Jessie eventually married in 1894, but her husband passed in 1897 and she moved back to the cottage. Her sister Marcia still lived there, but passed in 1904. And that's when an issue arose. During the Victorian period, an unmarried man and unmarried woman could not live together if they were not blood relatives. So it was just easier for Robert and Jessie to marry. She would adopt a boy named Theodore in 1908. Robert died in 1924, and Jessie inherited the cottage. She was not a woman of means, so the Rockford Park District, which Robert had helped found, entered a trust with her that would give them the cottage and the grounds upon her death. Jessie died from a stroke in 1942 at the age of 83. I thought that was cool that the Rockford Park District, they were like, we'll pay to maintain everything and you can live here until you die as long as we get it after that. Yeah, very kind and a good investment. Yeah, great investment. 
Theodore, Teddy as he was called, grew up, married a woman named Gertrude, and had a daughter named Rosemary. Teddy and Gertrude eventually divorced, and she moved with her daughter to Arizona. Gertrude was hit and killed on a highway there. Just a year later, the couple's daughter was killed in an accident on that same strip of highway. Can you believe that? Just a year apart from each other on the same highway, they were both killed in accidents. So sad. And Teddy came to his end in a car accident as well. So them and cars, not a good mix. And I assume that Teddy never wanted the property at all. And that's why she was like, well, Teddy doesn't want to live here. So I'll ask the park district, see what they want to do with it. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. The Rockford Park District acquired the property and opened the home as a museum in 1943. The Tinker family had lived there for 75 years, and much of their personal effects were still in the house, like clothing, furniture, artwork, diaries, and household items. So when you visit this house, you're seeing mostly their stuff, which is so cool. Yeah, it's very unique. You don't find that very often. No. Over the years, the house has been restored, as have the gardens. The Victorian Rose Garden was restored in 1998 to the way it looked between 1890 to 1910. There are over 25 heirloom varieties of roses in that garden. I love that. My dad used to grow roses like crazy. Yeah, and my grandmother as well, so... I just love Rose Gardens. Always reminds me of her. The Railroad Garden still exists and is currently under restoration following Robert's diaries. Jessie grew award-winning irises, and the Tinker Iris Path is being developed to honor her with 39 varieties spanning from 1911 to 1942, and those were the years that she would have been growing them. I just love that they're trying to restore everything to the way that they would have had it. And I believe this path is like leads from the parking lot up to the museum. So it lines that whole path, which is why it's called the Tinker Iris Path. And west of the Tinker Railroad Garden is the Tinker, Illinois Prairie Meadow, which is the founding site of Rockford and had once held Germanicus Kent's home. Of course, the house is no longer there. And when the Tinkers lived there, I believe it was their cow pasture. There might be a foundation still left or something. The uh, Tinker House offers tours, both historic and and, as we love to hear this, paranormal. So they do embrace their hauntings. Very nice. Diane first heard about this location at the Haunted America Conference many years ago. The museum offers ghost tours and paranormal investigations. Staff and visitors have had countless experiences of the unexplained that include hearing whistling and humming, the sounds of children playing, being touched, and seeing full-bodied apparitions. Most people believe that it's former members of the Tinker family that haunt the cottage. Many died in the house. Mary's father, Josephus, came to live with the couple and died in the house. Mary's niece, Marcia, died in the house. Mary died in the house, and her funeral was conducted in the parlor. And I imagine I didn't see anything that said it specifically, but Robert probably died in the house as well. And for that matter, Jesse probably died in the house too. I don't know. Tinker Swiss Cottage appeared on Ghost Hunters during Season 8 on Episode 20. And I found out the hard way that when you own Discovery Plus and it has Ghost Hunters Classic on there, you think, oh, this is going to have all the old Ghost Hunter shows on it. No. 
It has like the new ghost hunters that were the ones that we've been ghost hunting with. It had some of their shows on there and it might have some of the A&E ones on there, but it only goes back to like season 15 or 14 or something like that. Very disappointing. Yeah. I was like, where's the rest of them? The Ghost Research Society had investigated here several times and during an investigation in 2016, they managed to record EVP from 20 different voices. Wow. TNT paranormal investigators have also caught many EVPs while investigating. They think that the male ones they catch on the lower floor are from Robert Tinker himself, since his disability forced him to live on that floor alone. They've also caught female voices warning about the railroad. And the group has also seen shadow people. And when they're referencing this disability, it's not like old age, so he couldn't go up the stairs. He got caught underneath a train with his foot and dragged for a little bit. So he oh had a word. mangled foot, I guess. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how that happened, how you would be close enough for the train to do that. But he was lucky to be alive. Kathy Kressel wrote in her 2017 book, Haunted Rockford, Illinois, about an experience she had in the house during a public investigation. I entered the basement from the outside door and was speaking to Sarah Bowker, one of the psychics who assists with Haunted Rockford events. She was explaining to me that there was a ghostly servant girl that was rushing up and down the stairs, apparently trying to serve dinner. As she said this, I was standing at the bottom of the stairs that went between the basement and the upstairs kitchen, and I saw movement from the corner of my eye. I turned to look up the stairs and saw the back portion of a lady in a long blue patterned dress. I was quite startled and turned to look at Sarah. She asked, did you see her? I was astonished and must have shown it because my expression made Sarah laugh. Gotta love those experiences, though, when they're shared. You know, it wasn't just your imagination seeing something. Absolutely. Kathy shared other experiences that have occurred during tours. They once caught a clear EVP of a male saying, get out, that seemed to be directed at one male investigator in particular. It was assumed that Mr. Tinker didn't like this guy and his techniques. Another time, the lights went completely out in the whole house, something that had never happened during a tour. While one of the guides went to check the breaker, Kathy stayed with the tour guests and tried to keep everyone calm. Suddenly, a woman screamed. Kathy turned on her flashlight and saw that this woman was standing away from the group in a corner. The woman said she had just been touched and was clearly freaked. Kathy could see that no one was near her, so it couldn't have been another guest playing tricks. The lights then turned on and the group used some equipment in the corner to see if they could get readings. An EMF detector pinged red and stayed there. The young woman who'd been touched left the tour immediately. <laughs> so clearly she wasn't faking it. No, but I'm like, if you're on a ghost tour, an investigation, aren't you kind of expecting something yeah. to happen? But I know getting touched can be very freaky. The family spirits love their home and don't like to be provoked. One young man told his team he wanted to investigate the house alone. He conducted an experiment with some pennies, putting them on different surfaces. There wasn't much interaction, so we started making some unkind comments about the family and the house. A very heavy and dark feeling started to fill the room, so he decided to take a break. As he approached the door, a penny flew at his head and hit the wall just above it. Then he couldn't get the door to open, and the heavy feeling increased. He felt very unsettled when he finally got the door open and went outside. Provocation is no longer allowed because the general manager got tired of the after-effects. Doors would get slammed in his face, and the alarms would go off in the middle of the night, so that he would have to meet the police out at the property. 
I think that's why a lot of these places put specifically in their rules, no provocation, because they don't want to have to deal with what you leave behind. You hang around for a few hours and you get everybody riled up and then you leave and these people who are managing the places have to take care of that. Yeah, they have to deal with the aftermath. And nobody wants to be woken up in the middle of the night. (laughs) No, no, definitely not. (laughs) Having to go meet the police out at a place too. And if you think about it, they love this home so much that they're staying here in the afterlife. They're probably already ticked off with all these people going through it. And then when you're being rude or not taking care of things properly. And the whole point about the pennies is I guess he knew specific dates on each penny so he could tell if a penny had been moved somewhere and if somebody had been playing around with something or whatever. So he knew where this penny had come from and it had flown from very far away to get to where he was at to hit right above his head. Kathy wrote of another experience she had in 2021 while investigating with a group named Ghost Head Soup. That's an interesting name. Okay. I've been hosting these paranormal events in the Rockford area for 17 years now. We offer these ghost investigations so folks can join in with an actual investigation team. They can use the equipment and see what a real investigation feels like. We split the participants into three groups so that there are smaller groups. Great idea. I hate when you just have a huge group all together that's, you know, 30 or 40 people. It's too many. Samantha, Sarah, and I usually sit in on the sessions in different areas, and that Sarah she's talking about is their psychic that's on their team. For this particular event, I was stationed in the barn with Dean. Dean begins the session by explaining the equipment that we will be using for that session. Then we turn out the lights. I need to make something very clear before I go on with the story. I've worked with Sarah Bowker for 15 years now. She is the psychic one, and I rely heavily on her impressions. I sometimes get feelings, but rarely do I get details. I was just settling into my chair when I got the coldest feeling on my back. And when I closed my eyes, I saw one of the scariest things I'd experienced in a long time. I could clearly picture a young lady, possibly a teenager or a little older. She wore a long white gown that appeared to be wet. She had dark long hair, but had her head down and I couldn't see her face. She looked, for lack of a better description, like the girl from the movie The Ring, which is exactly what I was picturing listening to that description. Yeah, same. She continued, I ran to get Sarah. I just knew that she usually could tell me what was happening. Only this time, she couldn't. Sarah could sense the girl, but this spirit did not want to communicate at all. This made it so much scarier to me. Sarah can usually figure out what the spirit wants to say and helps them by communicating. But this girl just lingered there. Dean Thompson with Ghosthead Soup had been doing research the day before, and based on information they got using dowsing rods, the group concluded that this was not a tinker, but a young woman named Alma Johnson who was killed in 1909 when she was swept under a train headed into Rockford. It was a very gruesome accident. Interestingly, this young woman had a foot severed just above the ankle, and Robert Tinker had lost a foot when he was caught under a train and dragged. I thought, wow, same kind of injury almost. Yeah, and he actually lost his foot as well. So it wasn't just mangled. Kathy wasn't so sure this was Alma and thinks maybe it was a young woman that had thrown herself into the Rock River. Apparently a few women had done that, committing suicide. I don't know. Well, and if her gown was wet. Yeah, clearly this is someone who was showing that they were drowned or something like that, which would make me think that it was more of a drowning rather than somebody who had been in a train accident that you would think you'd see this really gruesome bloody whatever person 
Haunted Rockford shared on their website, the first time we ever visited the cottage on one of the Haunted Rockford bus tours, we were joined by a paranormal investigation team. We split the guests up into small groups and different guides led them through the cottage. As we were loading the bus to head to the next stop, one of the ladies approached me. She told me she had really enjoyed the tour. She loved that we used psychics, that we shared the history of the house, that we had the team along, and that we had the lady dressed in clothes from the time period of the Tinkers. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> this last piece caught my attention, and I asked her what she meant. She explained that when her group was going out on the suspension bridge, they passed a woman with her dark hair in a bun and all dressed in white. By now, we'd been joined by others on the tour, and there was a surprise gasp from several of the members when I explained that we had no one dressed up in a white dress. I wasn't sure who the lady saw, but this mystery woman was not part of the tour. I can't adequately describe the look on the woman's face, but I can tell you that it was priceless. Oh, my. (laughs) You saw a ghost. (laughs) And there was this experience also. One other time when we were there with the group, we were upstairs in the red room telling about Josephus' door, when all of a sudden we heard a woman's voice from downstairs calling, Hello? I turned to Steve and asked if he had locked the doors behind us, and he stated that he had. I told him he better go make sure because we were all upstairs and someone must have come in. Steve had a very funny look on his face when he joined us a few minutes later. He had checked the doors, and they were locked. He had also checked the entire downstairs, and there was no one else in the building with us. Everyone who was there that night confirmed that they heard the voice. Oh, that's really cool, too. It's another one of those kind of like when I was at Waverly Hills and we all heard the dog whining. Exactly. And I've met Steve at the Haunted America conference. Uh, I've talked to him a couple times. He always has a booth there for the Tinker Swiss Cottage. The Tinker family spirit seem to be quite active in the afterlife. Sometimes they are welcoming and sometimes they seem perturbed to have people in their home. But are they really there? Is Tinker Swiss Cottage haunted? That is for you to decide. While I was doing research on this, Kelly, I found this really cool little item. Thomas Campbell wrote a poem called Hallowed Ground. And a line from that poem is on Mary's tombstone, and we love it. To live in hearts we leave behind is not to die. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I thought that was beautiful. So nobody's ever really actually dead if somebody loved you and has you in their heart. Definitely a cool place we need to check out next time we're in the Alton, Illinois area. Absolutely. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We shared a story from Callie on a previous episode, and she had commented in the Spooktacular crew, I listened to this week's episode and loved hearing our Yeti story on there, the one about the cat. I wanted to share a few short stories we have had since living in our home. My husband and I live in an 1864 home that is historically significant to our small Amish town in Ohio. Our home was built by our town's founding father for his daughter as a wedding present. Isn't that cool? Very cool. One of our three barns is part of the original farmstead. The couple that lived in the house before my husband and I were like grandparents to my brother and I, so we kind of grew up in the home. Growing up during visits, we'd hear about the lady in white. I know everyone has one, right? My husband and I moved into our home Memorial Day weekend in 2018. We immediately noticed we have visitors from time to time. We still smell pipe tobacco, apple pie baking, and cologne. Oh, nice. We hear footsteps upstairs and will on occasion hear what sounds like muffled conversations mainly coming from upstairs. 
To add icing to the cake, we've had several friends over who know nothing about Our Lady in White say, A Lady in White just came down your stairs and went into the guest bedroom. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that's oh, Aunt, yeah, her. That, that's Aunt Maud. <laughs> we have also seen this a time or two. Our downstairs guest bedroom would have been their parlor, so we like to think she's going on in there to enjoy her favorite pastime. We have many other stories I'll try to post from time to time, including a figure in our barn and a phantom Amish buggy when we were coming home from the drive in a neighboring town. Well, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I've never a, heard anything like that. Just a couple like of little things. Yeah, I've never heard of a phantom Amish buggy. I want to know how Yeti reacts to everything. Yeah. Does <laughs> Yeti seem to sense anything in the house? And then occasionally we get comments over on our YouTube channel. Wanted to share this one from username Victoria V389. I worked in a hospital in Newcastle. My coworkers and I had many, many experiences on the floor that I worked on. I mean, off the charts experiences. I don't believe the place has ever been investigated. The floor is closed now due to consolidation with another hospital. I hope that one day Ghost Hunters will check it out. St. Francis Hospital. So we need to check it out and see what's going on there. We called the main ghost Philip. I believe he was a maintenance man. I saw him all the time. And then every so often we get comments from Granny Vapes 4154. They're always <laughs> yes. good. I lived in Germany back in 71 to 72. So back when I was born and you weren't even born yet, Kelly. I wasn't even a twinkle in your eye. <laughs> <laughs> my husband at the time was army and we were out of, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this, Aschaffenburg. It's A-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-N-B-U-R-G. He was assigned to Jaeger Kaysern. That place was also haunted and there had been personnel with drug issues. My husband was there when a young man tried LSD for the first time in the Jaeger Kaysern barracks and wreck area. At some point, he decided he was Superman and could fly. And of course, the other jerks involved in the incident told him to prove it. He opened the window and jumped out, yelling about how he could fly. The heavy metal screens caging the windows were installed shortly thereafter. Oh, my goodness. They weren't there before. The young man is one of the ghosts that haunts the building. She said, you might like looking into and the city name, which I'm not going to try again. The castle there is reputedly haunted, as is a lot of the base in the city there. Visiting the base was the first time I heard the term ghost magnet. Apparently, the guys thought I was one. I have rather owned that since. So awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us, everybody. want to thank you for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Kelly, on this epi- epis- episode, episode, on this episode. <laughs> <laughs>
We're you starting some, off fabulously. You want some of my coffee, darling? Yeah. <laughs> now, despite what clearly seems to be no lava now the lava loss, <laughs> lava loss. They had lava. You know what? It's because we're watching manifest, and there's that volcano and all the lava coming around now. I believe that is what's <laughs> at play here. Now, despite what clearly seemed to be no love, God, <laughs> lava loss. I am going to say lava every time. I just cannot say oh love. My. But this girl just lingled, just lingled there, just lingled there. Is it like dangling there? Or? 